0: Thank you. I am super excited. Um, oh, man. Um, this study that I've been doing this week, um, continuing the Upper Room Discourse, has touched me so profoundly. And so um, I apologize in advance if I get a bit teary. My voice goes a little bit trembly. I'm really sorry. Um, but God has done a work. And my prayer today is that God would do a work in all of us, in our hearts, that um, by His Spirit, He would reveal who He is. That's my prayer. And um, so who's been enjoying Upper Room Discourse? Yes. Yeah, kind of liking, looking at Scripture and then just sort of unpacking it from there. It's been really, really profound. Um, today we are going to be focus on, focusing on John chapter 15 to 16, but it's the end of chapter 15, right? We've been unpacking a lot, and so we're just going to kind of finish that off and then go into the beginning of chapter 16. So... Um, Jesse, if you can stay with me, I know there's a lot of slides in there, but um, you're doing a great, great job. So let's go. Let's read our main text for the morning, and then we're going to go through and break it down as we have been doing. Right. Okay. So, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning, Sorry, I should say, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, just to set a bit of context here. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Crazy, right? They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when your, their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. I think in my Catholic church, they used to say, um, this is the word of the Lord. And then people would say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All right. Hey, let's pray before we dive straight in. Father, we thank you for this scripture this morning. We thank you that your word is life to us. And we thank you that we're exploring you, Holy Spirit, getting to know you more. And so I just pray that as we talk about your work, that you would be at work in us. That Holy Spirit, you would do the work that you do in our hearts today. Reveal to us who you are. We thank you that you are with us. Thank you for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, some of you may know that Nate went away this week. Um, at the beginning of this week he went for a church planning conference and it was awesome. Um, but that meant that it left Na- uh, Nate. It left Sam and myself at home. We kind of did the normal thing where I went to work on Monday, and so Sam was with his grandma, and um, but then on Tuesday, it was just the Tuesday, Nate was going to come back on the Tuesday night, but the Tuesday was this day where, um, you know, I had to make plans with Sam, which I kind of normally do anyway. But for some reason, when Nate went away, I felt this kind of, like, increase of responsibility of you know, I had to kind of embody all that Nate is to Sam and be able to carry through on that, right? And, you know, I've come to face this fact, as hard as it is, that Nate is the fun parent. (laughs) That, I mean, I'm fun, right? But I'm not that fun. Like, I think if Sam could vote who was his most favorite playmate out of the two of us, Nate would win, hands down, right? He just has a way of creating games out of nothing and when Sam is like all crazy and what we say, you know, outside of the funnel of where he should be, Nate has this way of kind of like just bringing him into a game and it just makes my three-year-old toddler sane again and it's wonderful. Um, But I just felt the burden of that and the the increase of my responsibility as a parent, right? So I did my best in planning a really fun day for the Tuesday and it was funny because it it ethically failed. So... We, we were going to go to Maylands Water Park. We rock up. You know, he's already in his bathers. I've got his towel over my shoulder. We rock up, and there's no water. There's, like, no water in this water park. It's like, ah, oh, great. Okay, how about we pause for a snack? Mummy's got this under control. We will find a water park to go to. And so, um, you know, got out my Google Maps. We headed down to another water park. wasn't too far away. Um, but then when we got there he didn't actually wanna play in the water. He wanted to sit on the park bench watching the other kids play in the water. And we, I gave him you know, some warm up time, I thought, oh, 20 minutes, and then surely he'll be encouraged to go. No, we waited probably about 20, 30 minutes, and he was just like, no, and he started going and playing with the leaves and, and these things that fall from the trees. I'm like, okay, this has failed. Like me taking on <laughs> the job of being a fun parent, it's failed. it's it's gone kaput. But anyway, it ended up being an alright day. Um, But what's more, so on Nate flew out Sunday night, Monday morning I jump in the shower, I'm like right, you know, single parenting today, I gotta get my shower done first before I get the kiddo up. And um, I jump in and only cold water comes out. I'm like oh, thank you Jesus. All right, let's go have a look. And you know what's really cute? Sam the night before he had said, Mum, what's that sound? Like he's asking all these questions now. My god, like, oh, it's just the neighbor's sprinkler. That's that's all it is. It wasn't the neighbor's sprinkler. <laughs> it was our hot water system leaking like the whole night. And so I went out, I checked it, sure enough, it was broken. And so I get, you know, like some people roll their eyes at gender stereotypes and stuff, but in our household, that would be a job yeah. to work out, right? He, you know, he's wired like his dad, he's got the engineering mind, and, and so I'd be like, honey, all right, this one's yours, you work it out. But then I found myself in this situation of having continued the work that Nate would normally do, right? And so I got it all sorted and, and we just praised God for Nate coming back on Tuesday night. It wasn't even that long a time, but I felt like there was this responsibility given to me, right? And so it was great when he came back. But why I tell you this is because in, towards the end of John chapter 15, we see this transition taking place where Jesus is saying, all right, guys, I'm going away. You're up. Right? So Jesus is going away and there's this transition that the disciples have to go through. They're seeing that the work that Jesus has begun that it's actually theirs now or coming very soon. It's now entrusted to them, that they actually have to continue the work that Jesus um, has begun. And in chapter 14, Jesus is very much uh, setting them up with, I am going away, you need to understand this. And still in chapter 15, we see that they're really sad about it. They've kind of come to grips with it, but they're still very, like they're grieving about it, right? But Jesus is making that very clear to them. And Jesus is in fact telling them, you know, all the stuff that comes with doing his work and just the stuff that they've seen as well in Jesus' life that not all the time will they be welcomed in to share about Jesus. That's, that's not going to be the situation 100% of the time. But in fact, there are going to be moments where they're going to be opposed. There are going to be moments where they're going to be persecuted and even, um, you know, hurt because they are the ones carrying on his work. And so they're all a bit, you know... Um, Uh, they're just sad that Jesus isn't going to be around to help them with that, which is totally understandable, right? I, I would be sad about that fact as well. But this is where Jesus begins to speak hope into them, right? And so we pick it up in verse 26 to 27. It says, "...when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning." So Jesus is saying that, guys, I'm not leaving you alone, but you're going to have the spirit of truth. You're going to have the advocate or who we will call the Holy Spirit, you know, we call Holy Spirit. You will have him come and be with you to partner with you in this work that you're going to continue, right? And so Jesus is saying, guys, there is hope. I'm not leaving you alone. And in fact, Jesus uses specific language here where he twice mentions that the advocate, that the Holy Spirit's gonna be sent to them from the father and he says the spirit of truth who goes out from the father he's using this language specifically so that the disciples will understand that just as connected as jesus is with the father with father god the holy spirit too is connected with god that how the disciples have come to trust in jesus through you know, walking together, they're actually going to be able to come and trust the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is. And so Jesus is being very specific about his language here because he wants them to know that, guys, yes, you're sad, I get it, but the Holy Spirit is coming and He is just as trustworthy as I am. And in fact, He's the Spirit of truth, so He's going to lead you into all truth. There's stuff that I haven't been able to tell you, but He's going to be able to tell you and guide you and lead you, right? And Jesus, in putting together that the advocate will testify and that the disciples must testify, He's actually saying to them that you're you're expected to partner with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't want you testifying about me outside of the Holy Spirit's help, right? That's how Jesus was setting these guys up, that it's not just when you feel like you need this help, that you need the help from the advocate, it's all the time. I don't want you to do anything testifying about me unless you are doing it with the help of the Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus is setting them up, giving them very specific examples. And the reason why he uses these words advocate and the spirit of truth is because the Holy Spirit is going to continue the work of revealing Jesus, right? We see in Jesus's life how he does some miracles in the beginning and he is not wanting anyone to really know about him except for the recipient except for that person right and he's got he's got reasons for this but gradually as he goes throughout his ministry journey now he's actually giving permission to people yeah you can go share that with the, with your town you can go back to your families and share that right and so there's a timeliness of his revealing but when he goes away that the spirit of truth is the one that's going to be revealing. He's going to be revealing who Jesus is and continuing that work, right? So that's the first part of uh, uh, what we're unpacking today. That's what Jesus has been talking about. So we're going to move on to the next um, lot of scripture. So we're going to check out chapter 16, verse 1 to 7 says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus here is warning the disciples about something. He's putting forward that the greatest danger for the disciples and for, I think, us as disciples today is not that we will die for our faith. Jesus is actually putting that forward. That's not the worst thing that can happen to us this side of eternity. The worst thing, the most dangerous thing that could happen to Jesus' disciples is that they actually fall away from faith. That is the greatest danger, apostasy, right? And Jesus is warning them about this because he's basically saying, as you take on my work, you're also going to take on the brunt of the opposition, of the persecution. But there's hope here because in Jesus warning the disciples, he is saying that when that time comes, you can remember and say, ah, oh, actually, my Lord told me about this, and so I know that he knew about this. This has not gone outside of his knowledge. This oppositional persecution has not taken him by surprise, but he knows that this was going to happen, and so I can feel safe and secure in his love, in his knowledge, in his control of the situation, because he actually warned me about this. Jesus is, is no longer just comforting them. He's trying to instill confidence and courage in them, right, that as they continue his work under his authority, that they're actually still covered by him, right? That this danger of falling away, that the Holy Spirit is there to help uh, ensure that their faith continues strong, that they actually persevere. And I can imagine that how um, tempting it would be because we read in the book of Acts that some of these disciples actually do lose their life, right? And and that, yes, is sad, but can you imagine being one of the fellow disciples watching one of the people that you've journeyed with, experienced the love of God with, been taught under Jesus with, and you see them being killed for their faith? How much grief that would cause, right? But more than that, how much fear that would cause. And so Jesus is like, guys, take courage. This is not gone outside of my knowledge. But I love what Jesus says next, right? He uses this language, the time is coming when their time comes. He's specific about this, because this kind of language is the language of the cross. This kind of language, Jesus uses it, or it's said in the gospels about, in the garden of Gethsemane, how Jesus' hour has come to go to the cross, to be crucified, and what do we know? that happens at the cross, right? We see Jesus endure pain, endure humiliation, endure opposition, persecution. But as he dies and then is raised again, he is victorious, right? He wins the, the ultimate victory over sin and death. And so with Jesus using this language as he talks to the disciples, he's saying that no matter how grim it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how hurt you are, no matter when you see your fellow disciple and fellow follower of Christ lose their life for me, know this, that as you endure those things for me, that you are actually winning a victory, that you've actually come under my victory that was won at the cross and won through my resurrection, that you come under that. And that's what your death, that's what your persecution that you're enduring enduring not enjoying enduring um it it's all actually glorifying of me and my journey to the cross and resurrection right it's so awesome because look if i was a disciple and i was listening to jesus kind of set up oh by the way you're going to continue the work and you're going to be able to lay hands see the sick uh recover you're going to be able to preach the good news about me all these awesome things but at the same time you're going to be hated you're gonna be rejected, you're gonna be opposed, you're gonna be thrown out of your communities that you once belonged in. How many would sign up for that, right? Oh yeah, count me in Jesus, this is the best. No, you're weird if that's how you think, right? Sucker for punishment as they say. But Jesus is saying here that actually when you endure these things for my sake, that you are co-laboring with me, that I'm here with you in this by my spirit, the spirit of truth, by the advocate. And um, it is for your good that he comes, right? Because the paraclete, as uh, the the, is it the Greek language, yeah, um, uh, you know, that's what the Holy Spirit is called. The paraclete is one that comes beside, right? And so Jesus is saying it's good that he comes because you're going to endure a heck of a lot and you're going to need his power, to come alongside you, work with you in the work that I've given you now and trusted you in for you to continue in, right? So good. But then it got me thinking, as I was thinking about, um, you know, the disciples being in the, this position of continuing the work that, uh, you know, pe- when people's hearts are involved and people can be opposing to the gospel, can be hard-hearted towards God and and completely, um. You know, not even acknowledging God and, and really resistant to Him, that the Holy Spirit is necessary, right? Because we can't change people's hearts as human beings. And so I can see how um, Jesus is saying, It's for your good that He comes. But I'm like, Jesus, what, what does He do? How is He for our good? I'm just going to trust you that He is but how? And so Jesus actually goes on to unpack that. In verse 8 to 11, he says, when he comes, so when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So I thought, okay, so Jesus, what you're saying here is that the Holy Spirit's work is to prove the world to be in the wrong about these different things. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, (laughs) And Nate and I have been um, exploring through this commentary by D.A. Carson, and D.A. Carson kind of um, gives us a definition for this. So we're gonna throw that up on the screen now. And it says this, that this whole proving the world to be in the wrong thing that Holy Spirit does. He defines it as this, shaming the world and convincing it of its own guilt, therefore calling it to repentance, right? I want us to keep that definition in mind as we unpack this, okay? So it's shaming the world and convincing it of its own guilt to call it into repentance. We're gonna have a look now at how um, how the Holy Spirit would, uh, I guess, this whole idea of sin, righteousness, and judgment, why there is a need to actually address this with the world, right? And so, let's tackle sin first. What does the Holy Spirit do in regards to sin? So, and Jesus, sorry, jumping everywhere, sorry, Um, Jesus says about sin, so the Holy Spirit needs to do this work because people do not believe in me, right? And so, Why the Holy Spirit needs to prove the world to be in the wrong about sin is because people don't believe in Jesus. Because when we believe in Jesus, we've acknowledged that sin is one real, that sin breaks relationships, it ruins lives, right? That sin cannot be dealt with by ourselves. You know, often it's this beautiful phrase that we say when people give their life to Jesus. It's often because they've come to the end of themselves, right? They've come to the end of trying to make amends uh, themselves, but they still feel the guilt and the weight and the shame of sin, right? They try to walk in forgiveness, but it's just too heavy and it's never really lifted outside of Jesus. We see that the world now has moved the boundary lines of what is sin and what is you know, life, righteousness in Jesus, right? We used to live in a world where Christianity was kind of the pervading thought and worldview, where people understood that certain things were sin and certain things were, were not sin. But now those boundaries have been moved far out where we think that, you know, things that are absolutely in, you know, red writing in our Bible or in black and white are sin, but the world's like, no, 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 that's fine. Everything is permissible, right? Everything's fine to a point where now we're sort of losing our minds, right? We're we're thinking that some things are okay and life-giving when it's like, no, it's clear that does not lead to life, right? And so that's why the Holy Spirit needs to convict, needs to shame the world into knowing that they're guilty because sin is a real thing and that it separates us from the love of God and it separates us from the love of one another, And so that's the Holy Spirit's work. He comes to prove that sin is real, that sin cannot be dealt with outside of the cross, outside of Jesus Christ, right? So he reveals sin, the need for people's sin. And sometimes that's a heartbreaking, painful place to be in, right? I don't know about you, but when I first came to the saving knowledge of Jesus, I was in a painful place because I felt the need for a saviour. But that meant that I could actually respond to Jesus calling me and actually respond to his love and come out of that into life. And so that's what the Bible's talking about when we're talking about sin because people don't believe in me. Let's move on to righteousness. So Jesus says that the Holy Spirit needs to prove the world to be wrong about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Why did Jesus put these things together? Because Jesus is the ultimate picture of righteousness. And so as he goes away, there's no more picture, right? What does righteousness look like? Where does it come from? But the Bible is very clear that the world uh, tries to be righteous in its own way, right? And for us who, well, you know, before we became Christians, we probably attempted this, right? We attempted to become righteous by being a good person. We attempted to be righteous by having good deeds and being an upstanding uh, moral citizen. But in the book of Isaiah, it talks about how our righteous deeds before God are like gross rags like dirty filthy rags right and so we find that in Jesus that he is the ultimately righteous person and it's only through his blood that we are cleansed from all sin and all unrighteousness right and we can step into righteousness because of what Jesus has done And you know, that's such a comforting thing because as we go throughout life, that's not something that we're always remembering as Christians. We can find ourselves again trying to be righteous in our own energy, in our own strength, And so we need to actually come back to this. As much as the Holy Spirit goes and does that work in the world, I believe that he continues to do that work in us as disciples, that he continues to bring us back to, hey, remember, you are righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to take that away. There's nothing you can do to bring that about. But it's simply by receiving that in Jesus, I am made righteous. And so the Holy Spirit actually needs to Uh, uh, prove that out in the world, that no, 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 you're not righteous because of who you are. You are righteous through the blood of Jesus alone. He holds up the standard of Jesus and says, yeah, well, look at this. Perfect, sinless, blameless. None of us can do that, right? No human throughout the history of the world can do that. Only Jesus. The final one, so judgment says this, about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned, right? And D.A. Carson puts it this way, the Holy Spirit needs to prove the world wrong about judgment, because the world's judgment is always profoundly wrong and morally perverse, right? You can read throughout the gospel how Jesus meets different people, and some people get it straight away. This is who you are. You are Jesus. You're the son of the living God. You know, you're the savior. You are, um, you're everything that we need, right? You are healer. You're a restorer. People know that about Jesus, but then there's a whole bunch of people who get Jesus wrong, and they, they, they call him you know, a blasphemer, they call him a liar, they even call him the devil himself, right? How on earth do they see what Jesus does and hear what he teaches, that he's teaching love, right, about this kingdom of love and light and goodness and salvation, and yet they can still think that he is a liar and a blasphemer and the devil himself, right? It's because of this. It's because the world cannot judge soberly. Yeah, right. Another word for it is this spiritual blindness that the world has. They do, the world doesn't know right from wrong, right? But when you come into Jesus and you have the light of his word and the light of who he is shone on your life, you, you get to see yourself for who you are you get to see your sin for what it is so that you can repent so that you can be washed clean right this is such a gracious act done by the Holy Spirit because without us knowing the darkness within us without us knowing the sin uh, that we're constantly tempted in unless it's we're made aware of that how are we going to repent from it and walk into life walk towards the love of the Father, right? So it's such a gracious, holy work that the Holy Spirit does, right? And so this is why the Holy Spirit needs to prove the world in in the wrong, convict it of its guilt. But you know, as I studied this, what was taking place in my heart was repentance. Because if we can get that definition back up there, Jess, because as a Christian, I, when it came to relating to the Holy Spirit, I would often think about the first part of that definition that we looked at earlier. That, um, let me find it here, that the Holy Spirit shames the world and convinces it of its own guilt. That's something that I focused on right, without focusing on the part where it's to call people to repentance the love, the grace, that part of things. And so why I needed to repent was that I began to see that I had been relating to the Holy Spirit in a way that was actually dishonoring of who he was, who he is. And I think there would have been so many opportunities where I could have partnered with the Holy Spirit and, and actually been more hopeful about having different conversations with people and... And serving people in order to um, bring them into the love of God and, and encourage them towards the thing of God, things of God. but because I saw the Holy Spirit as this one who shames and guilts and proves, like no one likes to know it all right. If you've got, you know, that person in your family that's sort of like that weird cousin that's kind of like a know-it-all, and when, when you bring the person you're dating to a family thing, you're like, oh, let's just avoid that person, right? And let's, you can meet this family. This family's good. God the Father, Jesus, they're the, you know, they're good. Come get to know them. But the Holy Spirit, he's the one that like, bit of a know-it-all. He's the one that likes to make people feel guilty and like, shame them right? That's how I thought of the Holy Spirit. And man, as that revelation hit, I just came to tears because I was like, God, I'm so sorry that I had seen you so wrong. And I actually repent of that because I can see now that you're not the Holy Spirit. You don't just do that to push people out right to bring division even though division is sometimes a result of the truth of jesus being revealed but the holy spirit has never ever had the heart to push people out right and look sometimes we've seen that through christians but perhaps it's because of this revelation that they think that the holy spirit's all about shaming and guilting but we've neglected the other part where It's to call people to repentance. It's not to push them out. It's to actually draw them in to the love of God, right? Kind of have to wade through some of the uncomfortable things of being proven wrong, (laughs) of actually having our guilt shown to us. But it's always only an invitation from God to draw us into his love, right? If I can get the band to come up and help me. Because this morning what I sense God wanting to do is actually kind of lead us in this repentance to have a moment where we think about what's my relationship like with the Holy Spirit? How do I actually see this person of God? Do I see the Holy Spirit as the weird cousin at the party that I want my friends and family who aren't saved to avoid? Because <laughs> it's just not nice. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's weird. It's weird. Or do we see the love, the heart to show people the stuff that actually causes them to bow the knee, to come to Jesus, to have their sin, yes, illuminated, but then to have our Saviour come and wash them clean Are we willing to partner with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, who, yes, shows people that their righteous deeds are not good enough, but who puts a robe of righteousness around them and says that, hey, but in Jesus, you are made right. There's nothing you can do to earn it, but it's a free gift of grace. And are we willing to partner with the Spirit of God who helps us actually make judgments so that we can love the people in our world well and say, hey, look, no, that's not gonna lead you to life, but life is found here in Jesus. So come on, church. I want you to stand to your feet. We're gonna sing a song or the band's gonna sing over you. And while that's taking place, I want you to have a moment where you connect with God where you talk to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, and whether you're new to this or not, whether you've got a relationship with Holy Spirit that's pre-existing to this moment or not, that doesn't matter. In this moment, He's wanting to meet with you. He's wanting to speak with you and He's wanting to reveal who He is, that He is a God of love and that you can trust Him. So come on, why don't you have that moment with God as the band leads us. Father God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your spirit of truth and for divine revelation, God, that shifts us out of how we've been living, how we've been seeing, God, and moves us into what you want us to live out, God, and how you want us to think. And so, God, right now we repent and we come before you, God. Father, we want to put away any notion that The Holy Spirit is someone that doesn't operate out of love, but God, we repent from that way of thinking. And God, no matter how uncomfortable it may be to step out in faith and to share about the love of God, to share about who Jesus is, Father, I thank You that You have sent the Holy Spirit, that we may partner together in this work that you've called us to. And I thank you that it's by your power at work, God, that people would come and repent, come to see who you are, Jesus, and to see that you are always wanting to embrace, never to push away. And so God, today we say that we're coming back. We're turning away from that old way of thinking, God, and we are stepping in with faith, And God, we declare right now that as we do that, God, I thank you for the moments. I thank you for the opportunities, Lord, to be able to share about who you are, Jesus, to our family and friends. God, maybe those who have never known you before or those who have backslidden and grown lukewarm in their faith. God, I thank you right now that because of this revelation, that Holy Spirit, you are with us and that you are working to bring people to Jesus, that God, we step in with confidence, that we step in with faith right now. God, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts, in our lives, that people may know you and be brought into your kingdom. God, I thank you that you are changing hearts, you are changing minds right now that you're softening people towards you, God. We thank you for your love in this place. God, I declare it over your people. And Lord, we thank you for sending the advocate. We thank you for sending the spirit of truth that we're not alone in the work that you've called us to, but God, we can walk with him and see people come to know you. We commit every loved one into your hands. Every person that is on our radar that we want to speak to about you, Jesus, we give them to you now. We ask that you help us going out of this place to reach them with your love. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. If you want to head out to the floor, you can do that. But I just sense God is still wanting to speak that he's still wanting to move so why don't you just lean in band if you can lead us in that song why don't you lean in have this moment with God there's no rush we hope you've enjoyed this week's message follow us on instagram at the Live church or on facebook at lift church perth that will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church thanks again for listening god bless